on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about The Rules of Magic by Alice Hoffman. I'm Amber Gregg. I'm Kate Oda. And I'm James Moore. So The Rules of Magic is technically historical fiction, but it's more like realistic, magical fantasy, light fantasy. And it follows three siblings throughout pretty much the course of their whole life. And they are witches and a warlock, and they have this family curse. And the family curse prevents them from ever really being in love. And something horrible would happen to whoever they're in love with if they do try to trick it or or break the curse at all. So I do want to say that there will be spoilers in this discussion. So what did you think of the book overall? I didn't like it. At all? (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, no. I didn't like it. <laughs> there were, I'll say this. I want to be fair as we go through the, the podcast on this book. There were elements to this book that I thought were done well here and there. I think that the premise is interesting. It's an interesting premise. Yeah, yeah. But I think that someone handed someone was handed a filet mignon steak and just over seasoned it, burned it on the grill, did whatever, and it was it just wasn't done very well. And it was a chore to read this book. Yeah, I disagree a little bit. I would agree for the first half that I was like, oh, man, we really made a mistake with picking this book. This is not good. This is really hard to get into. The narrator was very bizarre. But I would say the last hundred pages or so was redeeming for me. And I really enjoyed that. And I actually went back and reread the first 50 pages after I finished the book. Because for me, when I start a book, until I'm really into it, sometimes I kind of gloss over some of the details. And there are so many details that we get in that first part that I kind of missed completely because I wasn't really into the way that they were telling the story. Uh, So I did appreciate it a little bit more once I finished it and I did start to connect to the characters and feel the emotion by the time I got to the very end. But it did take way too long to get to that point. And honestly, I never would have finished this book if we hadn't picked this book. So I don't think that I would have appreciated it if I just picked it up, put it down, and I never would have seen the good aspects of it. Well, what about the last hundred pages changed your opinion about it? I don't know if it was that I just felt more invested in the characters by that point, or if it was just that I started to understand them. Maybe I was more used to the narrator. So let's talk about the narrator. The narrator was this omniscient person that it was written very passively. You kind of knew a lot of information about all the different characters, and it foreshadowed in some areas. Do you think that that can work? in a book? Or do you think that in general, that narration style just isn't very effective? It, it can work in the book if it's done right. The narrator seemed, it seemed like sometimes it was omniscient and sometimes it was a point of view from a character. And, and this omniscient narrator sometimes didn't really know what was going on. And that's what, that's what bothered me. <laughs> I mean, you need to pick one. Yeah. And yes, it can be done right because Tolkien writes that way. And even though that style is not prevalent now because there's a lot of description of scenes and that sort of thing. It seemed like she was trying to write like Tolkien, but she's doing a really, really bad job. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was I was very bothered by the omniscientness because we were hopping between heads so quickly. Yeah. I mean, at one point, we were in the perspective of a rabbit. <laughs> and I was like, I don't care 
care about this rabbit? There was also so much telling rather than showing us. Amen, sister. Yeah. Yeah. That, that really felt like I was so far away from the characters that I just couldn't care about them because I was only being told about who they were. Yeah, I think that is really the most frustrating part about the narration. And that's why it took so long to get into it, because it's like, well, I feel like there's this big wall between me and the characters. And honestly, for the first hundred pages, I couldn't remember the difference between Franny and Jet. I'm like, which sister is this? Which one's the older one? Who is dating who? Like, I had had to keep going back and refreshing my memory because I just didn't care enough about the characters to really keep them apart. But I think that once we started to get more depth in the characters that's when it started to be more interesting. Like uh, the reveal that Vincent was actually gay. I'm like, oh, okay, now this is more interesting because it always seemed like he was just like, I don't care about anybody. Like I, I have this curse on me, so I don't want to fall in love with anybody, with any woman. But it also bothered me because he took advantage of a lot of the women and this charm that he had. I get that he never really felt anything for them because he was gay, but he also led them on. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, come on, come over. Then one day it clicked for him, like, oh, okay, I can fall in love. I just never met the right person, and it was never a guy. Yeah. Well, my problem with the whole love curse thing was that it was so irregularly enforced by Mm -hmm. the universe or whatever. Like, there were the two boys who were just going to go on a date with the sisters and got struck by lightning. And yet, both Franny and Jet had sort of a guy that they were pseudo-dating interested in for a long period of time. They never really had the curse happen to them. And Vincent's lover guy who followed him to France never had a problem. (laughs) So it was... See, I thought that Vincent was fine because the curse was for the women in the family. Oh. I might have just what made that, that up. Curse. <laughs> <laughs> I might have just kind of canoned that in my head. The impression that I was given was that this was a family thing. The whole curse was a family thing across the board. And what really bothered me about the curse was that sometimes it was a universal deal, and sometimes they treated the curse like it was a character, a person. Well, if we don't say out, out loud that we love each other, then we can fool the curse. Mm-hmm. I was like... Curses don't work like that. In any book, movie, or anything I've ever heard of, yes. a curse is a curse. And if you love somebody, bam, you know, then they're they're in danger. You can't just lie to a curse. Yes. I actually just read another book that had a curse about if two people fell in love. And they did, but they didn't even tell each other that they were in love with the other one. And this curse still happened. And I was like, yes, that's a love curse right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, then I started thinking that maybe... It never was a real curse that it was all just coincidence and that they just all had this like the caution. There was like that theme of caution versus courage and they were just trying to like protect themselves. And there was some quote and I'll find it in a minute, but there was a quote about how it doesn't really matter what you do, like if you love or not love, like bad things are going to happen. So you might as well just love people and put yourself out there. So I kind of thought like, well, maybe there isn't a real curse. It's more of this like family, like rumor that's been passed down. So then they kind of put this barrier up. But it is weird that like someone gets struck by lightning. What are the odds of that? And then, oh, you're about to like go have sex for the first time. And then your boyfriend and your parents all die. Like, that is pretty awful. Yeah, that was really sad. 
I played into, I thought about that self-fulfilling prophecy theory that you just went over for a moment, but it would have been better if the author had made a choice. Is it going to be a, this self-fulfilling prophecy thing? Is this not really a curse and address that? Or this is really a curse and this is how we're really going to defeat it with our powers of magic and come up with something, some ancient incantation or something like that to break this curse and have a real conflict there. But that was never really addressed or resolved, and that disappointed me. Well, they they couldn't break the curse because this is a prequel to Practical Magic in which this curse is still a thing for right. the characters of that uh. book. So I, I knew they were never going to get out of this. I haven't read or watched Practical Magic, but I read the Wikipedia summary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did too, actually, and I was very intrigued by the fact that the movie is classified as a romantic comedy. Like, really, a rom-com? I did not get that feel. And and I think that this one is probably supposed to be a little bit darker. But it was sad. All of it was so sad. I don't think I felt happy any moment while reading this whole book. Like, I, I felt emotion. I felt the sadness for the characters, especially by the end. I didn't in the beginning. Like, even when the parents died, it seemed like... They didn't really care about the parents dying. The parents seemed kind of cold from the beginning. I was like, oh, well, they're going to die because they're jerks and these kids need to be orphaned. <laughs> like they, they didn't seem to love the kids at all. And I thought that was kind of them protecting themselves from the curse. Like, well, can you love your own children, too? Is that part of the curse? Oh, yeah, the different kinds of love. So I wasn't sure if that's why the mom, like, was so distant from them. Because she's like, well, I never really actually loved loved your father. And I thought that that was part of her being cautious. But then when they died, I was like, oh, well, I don't care. The characters didn't really seem to care. They were more concerned about the boyfriend dying. And Jet was distraught for, like, 40 years after he died. And no one ever mentioned their parents ever again. (laughs) That's true. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, I kind of saw their parents as kind of like Harry Potter's parents in the beginning as far as being as contemptible. And I was really, especially when they went off to see their aunt that summer, I said, oh, these, these are going to be minor players. They're not going to be real big in the in this book. And then their tragic death was supposed to have some kind of huge impact, which it didn't. It's like this book had a lot of expectation and no execution in a lot of areas, including that one plot development or non-development. Yeah, it did have so many different branches of things happening and it didn't always connect back to the main plot. Like for a while I thought that cuz I knew that this was a prequel, but before I started the book like it, I don't read synopsis of books before I read them. So I definitely didn't read the synopsis of Practical Magic. So I thought that we were kind of getting like a villain beginning story for Vincent and then the sisters were gonna have to fight him or whatever in the second book I thought that's what it was building up to because you see him getting darker and darker he's using the magus he's uh meeting people in creepy street alleys to give them like dark magic and nothing really even happened with that like they said there was some rule about things come back to you threefold if you put it out there. So I thought something really bad was going to happen to him in that way. I mean, bad things didn't, did happen to him. Yeah. It's like, what, well, what happened with that? All of a sudden he like fell in love and then like, that's all, all that buildup is done. Yeah. 
I mean, as far as the Vincent character, we're going to talk to it about him for a minute. I, I did not care about Vincent at all no? until the reveal that he was homosexual and he's got this relationship with this guy. I said, oh, okay, now I care about Vincent a little bit. Now bring it on home. Give me a reason to like really be invested in Vincent. And, um, and they just, and then when he just dodged the curse by faking his own death, it, <laughs> it ran, so I was like, how does that work? And, and William, and I said, well, the tragedy is going to be like he can't see his family again and everything. But then William gets to go with him yeah. into his exile. I was like, now I, I don't feel bad or good. I was just neutral. You know, neither hot nor cold about this whole Vincent character and his story. Right. It's just nothing. How is it fair that he ends up getting his love and safe with his love, but he can't talk to his family? Yeah, how, that seems like the opposite of what the curse would Kind of, yeah. I mean, he doesn't get to see his daughter grow up, and, you know, I get that, but I guess when you're gay and in Paris, and, you know, you got those boxes checked off, you're all right with the other box, you get to send her macaroons every year. Yeah, that made me laugh. But I didn't feel like he he cared about having a daughter that much anyway. He was kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll send you stuff. Like, he kind of adored her when he met her, but then... When it was revealed that she was the daughter, he was kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. And and the only reason why he sent this stuff is because April was like, well, don't make promises you can't keep. So I felt like that was the only reason why he kept sending stuff and to say like, you know, he never said that he was the dad. He never pushed to be like, oh, we should probably tell her that I'm the dad. I get that it was... I guess late 60s, 70s at that point. I think you had the 70s at that point. Yeah, in the 70s. That's another thing that the time was very confusing. I had no idea (laughs) how much time had passed. Like, I'm thinking, like, the first half of the book seemed like it was over the course of maybe, like, two years. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're 20 years in the future. And there was, like, no notice until, like, a little bit later there's, like, a slight comment about oh yeah we're this age or this much time has passed Mm -hmm. yes what bothered me so much deep down in my soul so mad about this is how the timeline doesn't match practical magic okay because this book ends and it's like saying it's 90 you know mid 90s 93 95 somewhere in there and these the characters who are the main characters of practical magic are like three and five years old or something right but practical magic was published in the mid early nineties and the movie was in like 1995 and they, the main characters were adults and obviously it was contemporary. It wasn't meant to be a futuristic. So it's not like she, she, the author was saying like, Oh, this is taking place in 2020. Like, no, it was the nineties and they were adults and I'm mad about it. (laughs) Oh, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. I was kind of thinking about the characters because as soon as they introduced the two, I guess they were great nieces of, of the main characters and they spent so much time talking about them at the very end of the book. That's when I started thinking, okay, the next book must be about them because otherwise we wouldn't get these characters introduced at the very end and it wouldn't be such a big reveal. Yeah. I didn't really think about what age they were in the next book until I looked at, at the summary and like, Oh yeah, that is kind of weird, but I never really made the connection like that. I just thought it was really weird and really bothered me. I worked with three and four year olds a lot. I were, I taught preschool and the one was like, Oh, that's my great aunt. That's family. She's going to make the arrangements. I'm like, no, no, honey, no four year old is like, she's going to make the arrangements. 
you would say like, oh, she'll know what to do or something. Like I could see her being smart enough to know that she needs help from her great aunt, but not like, let's make the arrangements. <laughs> like, no, no. A four-year-old being like, I need to speak to a fiduciary about my parents' assets. <laughs> wow. Well, the... Um, like you, the the back end of the book I enjoyed. I actually was it was tall where I could read it. It still had problems. It still wasn't done very well. But and it was a cheap ploy, I think, to to try and get me to feel something, you know, at the end with the with the grand nieces. But I I kept thinking of ways to fix this book. From the begin, from the first hundred pages, I was thinking the first fifty pages. I was thinking if they were in our writing group, if Alice was in our writing group, she would have gotten hammered, <laughs> hammered by Rick. It would have been it would have been torture. But um, I think the way to fix this book, Alice, if you're listening, is <laughs> I think it would have been more interesting if that story at the end of the the grandnieces was told up front. If that whole thing happened up front, number one, take out all that exposition. You know, just you know, do some showing instead of telling. Start at that point of the book, and then the rest of the history of them and everything could have been told to these girls, you know, with with actual dialogue and actual history and something. And make and number three, you got to make the curse be something, mm-hmm. you know, make that curse work or be the and then be defeated. Make the curse the villain in this in this book. You got to have a villain that gets conquered. Well, and they kept saying. Oh, Franny, you're going to be the one to break the curse, or you're smart enough, you'll find a way. And she had all those, like, herbs and everything, so I thought that she would break it, or at least hint to the fact that maybe they would break it in the next book. But then they also had that one, the pastor, that he was from the descendants of the family that started the curse. So I thought, okay, Jet and this guy are finally becoming close. It took a long time after the death of Levi. Levi? How are we saying his name? I don't even remember his name. That's how much he mattered to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, snap. No. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say it's Levi. <laughs> We're going to go with that. And so they connected over the death of of the son and, and the boyfriend after a long time. Like, they were still at odds. So I thought, okay, maybe this is the end of the curse. And that's why, like, nothing bad has happened to anybody in a long time because they've already broken it because they made the connection. But there's no, like, magical, like, poof, like, now you know the curse is broken. They just knew because nothing bad had happened. But there was no mention of that. So I can't just assume that that... Because that would solve a lot of the the issues that you were talking about. Where, like, well, why didn't anything happen? Well, the curse was already broken at that point. Yeah. But we would have to be told that at some point yeah. as the readers. <laughs> yeah. It was just... That part of it was just disappointing to me. Yeah. I was disappointed by the magic mirror that showed you your fate or whatever. Because Vincent kept being like, and this was what I saw in the mirror. Like, four or five times. I was like, how many times did you look at that mirror? <laughs> like, what more did you need to know? He saw that he would like, fall in love with a man in that mirror. He saw that he would die in, on the stage in France. He saw that he would get drafted. And I was like, someone needed to pull you away from that mirror, man. <laughs> yeah, and I, so I was feeling like there wasn't enough magic for me in Honestly, I usually really like magical realism more so than fantasy. Like, and I also like urban fantasy because it's similar where the 
fantasy elements are in our world and the fantasy I don't like because you have to spend so much time world building that it that I just can't get into it. So I was really excited about this, but I also feel like you have to have a little bit more magic. There were times where they used magic when it didn't make sense, and then they didn't use magic when it did make sense, like when they went to get Vincent out of the, the psych ward or the mental hospital. They had Halen. They had Halen go didn't, in. didn't remember his name, did you? I didn't remember. <laughs> I had to look. I had to look at my notes. I could not remember his name. So... They had him go in in his military doctor uniform to get him out. And I'm like, don't they have some sort of, like, cloaking potion or something where he could just sneak out? Well, yeah. let, let me... I'm. This is not me defending this book, okay? I'm not defending this book. <laughs> but something buried in the book that came up as an issue is that some of the ways that you defeat a witch... Is to have if you have metal bars or metal around them, it weakens oh, their powers, and that's and that was kind of described on what Vincent was going through while he was there. It was good that he was spitting out the the chemicals, the the drugs that they were giving him, but the fact that he was surrounded by these metal bars kind of impedes magic, you know, and that's a rule. And I'm okay with that if you establish some things like that, but they should have had some kind of magical bar defeating way to get him out of there. <laughs> And, and to take care of some of these other issues, because otherwise, why even make it a book about magic, you yeah. know? Because I don't care about people with smooth skin. I don't care about the black soap. I don't <laughs> care about, you know, people trying to hang on to their husbands, give up their wedding rings, stuff like that. I want to see this magic do something important to the characters I'm reading about. And the magic played almost no part for them. Yeah. Except they could just float around easily on lakes. That's it. Okay, that part, I had a laugh because it reminds me of the Monty Python thing where she's a witch and they're like, you know, it is the whole fallacy that was popular. Well, if she floats, then she's a witch. If she sinks, she's not. But oops, we killed her because she sunk to the bottom and drowned. So, oh, well, she's a witch. So either way, you're dead. Right. So it made me think of the whole she's a witch skit and they're like trying to see if she floats or not. I'm like, oh, okay. So she's sticking with some of the common lore. But I did read an interview with her and it sounds like she actually did a lot of research to be able to write all of the herbology stuff. So she actually looked up all these roots and the garden stuff and what each thing is said to do. So that's really interesting. Uh, But I think that, yeah, there could have been more with that that was important to the main plot points. Like their aunt, Isabel, she, she started to do some of that stuff, but she didn't really make sense to me either because she gave the potion to Vincent to like kind of calm down his his charm that he has that's just attracting these like flocks of girls to him. And so she gives it to the neighbor who, ew, (laughs) this like old like lady neighbor like seduces him because of this charm or whatever. And the aunt lets it go on. She knew about it for a while before she was finally like, oh, here you go. But then I was thinking, why didn't they give that potion to the girls? Because they had guys that were attracted to them too. Like why didn't, ah, The magic made me mad because you're right. It wasn't really doled out fairly, but it also, some of it was hard magic. Like there's a curse and you can float on water and there's a magic mirror, but then it was otherwise really soft magic. Like lavender and honey will make you feel happy. And I I wanted the book to kind of pick one, whether it was 
fairly realistic herbal stuff that like medieval Europe would have called witchcraft or like hardcore actual curses. I just wanted one and not and both didn't play well together for me. Right. And they hinted at some of their actual magical skills in the very beginning and then you didn't see it a lot throughout. Like I actually had to write down a list of all the different types of magic that they did throughout the book because I couldn't remember. I had to go back through and look and that's what I kind of picked up when I reread the first part of the book. I was like, oh, I didn't remember that they had that. The most prevalent one is that they have the sight and they can read each other's thoughts a little bit and they hear other people's thoughts, but that wasn't consistent either. Yeah. And so then they had other ones where like every once in a while they would control the weather. They could levitate objects. Yeah, they had telekinesis. Yeah. They, the um, bird stuff were like... Birds liked them. Yeah, and they had, like, the familiars, the char- <laughs> the charming the people. They had the divination, just seeing the visions of the future every once in a while. Franny had that the most. She seemed to have the most magical abilities. And maybe, well, actually, that's not true. I would say that Vincent had the most because he used it the most. But that was because he had that book, The Magus. Mm-hmm. And I'm not 100% sure what that book is, but it seemed like that was... A dark magical spell book? I think so. The, one of the things that make this book poor is that it's not clear. doesn't explain that part of it. And actually, if I'm mistaken, tr- correct me, but there was two books. There was the book that Vincent had. Yeah. There was the book that the Aunt Isabel had. Uh, and, I, and what I was seeing was some kind of conflict. Okay, Vincent's got the evil dark book, and, she's, and somebody else, one of his sisters, is going to have the, the good book. And it's going to be, they're going to be fighting using spells from out of this. And that never happened. Yeah, the, there was not really a big climactic thing. There just wasn't yeah. a climax for me. There was, honestly, I had trouble because it didn't feel like there was a plot dragging me through. I didn't know yeah. what they wanted or what was stopping them besides, well, they want to fall in love and there's a curse. Yeah, they're just whining about this it. curse the whole time. And I wanted, I wanted some dramatic demonstrations of this magic. Because yeah. everything else was very weak and passive as far as demonstrations of this magic. I wanted to see, I wanted to see, you know, those kids that got hit by lightning, okay, they just said it, you know. It, it would have been nice to, <laughs> if somebody can control lightning or do something like that, you know, using their magic. They had to be, it was missing conflict, and I was just waiting for this to be over as I was reading through it. Right, like Franny, I think it was Franny, like walked past the women's prison and just like controlled the weather and blew a breeze into it. I'm like, okay, And they had a cool breeze all day and... Right, I'm like, okay, use some of that magic for something that pushes the plot forward and break, yeah, break the curse or at least do something. And that's why I'm kind of disappointed that Vincent didn't end up being that villain that I thought it was building Mm. up to. And and I'm happy that he kind of got... A happy ending. I guess you could say it's a happy ending. See, I'm, I'm not happy that he got a happy ending because because <laughs> Vincent was somebody was being set up for somebody I did not was not going to like. But I want to not like him for some interesting reasons, you know, mm-hmm. other than just he's he's indifferent to people except for this William that he hooks up with. And it seems like that's the only real person that he cares about in this whole thing. You know, he's kind of fascinated with his daughter and he. He's interested in his sisters and that, but everybody else is like dirt to him. They're just walking around taking up space. I would like if if he wanted to like get rid of all these people or rule the world or something like that. Then he's then that's an interesting reason to not like him. 
But I, but he never acts on it. He doesn't really take it. He's very passive. And yeah. that's what this this entire book was. I think passive is the one word that describes this book. Because when you just said just now, oh, birds like them. Well, that, <laughs> that's what they said pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically. And that's a, a, a correct description. Because after that, somebody says, well, so what? Yeah, exactly. So what? Birds like them. That never got actually worked upon in the story. Right. It was just sprinkled throughout. And, and yeah, so I thought that there were some plot points that were like, okay, here we go. Like with uh, Raphael, where Jet goes back to the hotel that she was supposed to go to the night that Levy died. It was heartbreaking that she was going to kill herself in that spot. She's like, all right, well, you know, this is the end. And then the bellhop realizes what she was going to do. And then the saddest moment for me in the book was when she was like, well, I want you to pretend that you're Levy. Like, that is so sad. And I'm glad that he, I mean, he still went along with it, but he also was kind of like, well, but you also have to acknowledge that that I'm a person too, because otherwise this is just really weird. So I thought that, okay, like, we're going to go somewhere here, but then she was still obsessed with Levy for years and years, and then it seemed like she was almost done, and then it kept going. Like, I thought at one point they said she decided she was not going to be bothered by it. She went to the, the grave site, and she's like, okay, I'm done, but then, like, ten chapters or whatever later, she's still, like, moping and sad, and then they kind of, like, casually mention at one point that her and Raphael are hooking up every time she goes to New York City and they're kind of dating, but he also, like, married other people. I'm like, what? What what happened to the storyline? <laughs> that was another missed opportunity because the way, okay, I'm always into the fixing of the book, but it was a sad part where she wanted, she wanted him to be Levy. But when he insisted on saying, oh, no, you have to see me for me, then that kind of ruined things. He should have gone along with it the first couple of times, and then they have a romance, and then at one point he gives her an ultimatum and say, hey, look, I can't be your your ghost. You know, I got we have to have something. We want to live in the now. We got to have something now. And then the curse comes into play because he really wants to be, you know, loved by her. And that's so there was a missed opportunity for all that conflict and for the curse to play a part and for uh, Jet to have a real relationship, but that got tossed in the trash just by him telling her, you, I want you to see me for me now, and then we'll hook up every couple of years and <laughs> my uncle's hooked up. And, and that's, that's good enough for me. That was just weak. Yeah. Well, see, we've talked about a couple roads not taken, but I want to talk about a road that was taken that I did not appreciate, which was the incest aspect of uh, Vincent and what's-her-name? April. April, yeah. Could they just not have related that would have been nice well they made a point <laughs> they made a point to be like well we're very very distant cousins like twice ten times removed mm. still, still. yeah that was I think yeah. people even in West Virginia were going so I took it as Vincent was in control of his charm but again like I said I think he well first of all he was only 14 and I'm pretty sure April was like 17 or 18 at that point. Gross. She was... <laughs> Gross. Yeah. So we have, like, statutory rape on top... Well, I don't know if that existed in the 70s. Probably not. Uh, I think it did. <laughs> I mean, emotionally. <laughs> right. I don't know if it was illegal for... I mean, 
If she was 17 or 18, okay, whatever. So <laughs> that's beside the point. So she was obsessed with him, but I don't think that was in her control. I think that's part of that magic that he has to charm women. And he took advantage of her and that because he just doesn't care. He didn't care until he met William. That was the first person he ever cared about breaking their heart or not like even once he realized he was kind of like oh we had sex did that happen I don't know I don't really remember that because I had sex with like 5,000 women in my one summer as a 14 year old boy <laughs> he had sex with every woman in that town I feel like yeah it yeah. seemed that way and it's almost on the nose because you know I've been a 14 year old boy okay and if you did have that power probably abuse it but um <laughs> What what I thought would be another another missed opportunity is that April would have more of a problem with this than she did. Yeah, <laughs> she was like super okay with it. She was like, oh no, I just wanted to let you know you got a daughter uh, when you was screwing everything aside. But I just wanted to let you know so that you can you know send me back rooms every once in a while. <laughs> and that's it. That was, and they just set that to the side. It would have been a, a a distasteful turn in the book, I guess. You know, dealing with that whole incest thing, but at least. She would have cared. It would have been realistic. It would have been like if she was like upset about this. So here's what I thought happened. So she had a quote where she talks about arachnids murdering their mates after they reproduce. And she was like very clear about that. And she said, these are the odds that us Owens women have. So I thought that that was foreshadowing that she killed off whoever she, she had the baby with either to protect herself from actually falling in love with them or to protect the daughter because she figured, well, it's inevitable that at some point he's going to die anyway because of the curse. So I thought that's kind of what it was foreshadowing. And then when they said it was Vincent, I was like, oh, is she going to kill him? <laughs> How does this all come into play? And it, and it didn't. Yeah. I thought it just would have been so easy for her to be from a different witch family, like spending the summer with another witch family to make connections would have been so easy to avoid but, the incest. But that's the whole prequel thing. Because they the her grandchildren had to be part of the Owens family, which is how they got brought back to... Well, no, they would have been anyway. Because Vincent was their grandfather. So it still counts. Yeah. Ha-ha! <laughs> but, but they were saying that that's why Regina, April's daughter, died really young. Because she had the aura, the short lifeline because both okay well i guess that has nothing yeah, to do with being an owens so that's that can, yeah. right so yeah, yeah. but april had it too so they're like well it's doubly but i guess she could still have that short lifeline even if she wasn't related yeah i mean she could just be a different witch right yeah they should have i think they should have handled that a little bit better especially since they didn't really make a big deal about her family, like they talked about her family a little bit and like why she was running away from them. But yeah, there wasn't, there could have been another reason why she was visiting Aunt Isabella. Just a poorly done steak. That's what this book is. <laughs> so what did you think of the, the courage versus caution theme? So they, they had this tea that it's like, well, you pick whether you want courage or caution. And then they all ended up getting courage, whether they wanted it or not. But it seemed like that was how they were living their lives based on the tea that they thought that they chose. 
that was another disappointment <laughs> because they had their, their Neo moment. Okay, Neo, you can take the red pill and see how far the rabbit hole goes. Or you can have the green pill and go back to your life and forget everything that's happened. And that's kind of like the courage versus caution thing. If you pick car- the you, we know the green pill is the caution. It's like I just stay in my little cocoon. I just live a normal life, and everything's boring. And the you know the they do the end credits of the book, and it's over. <laughs> or you can pick the courage, and of course, courage means that you have to something to be courageous about. Just have something that has to bring some fear into your life that you have to overcome and do this thing, which is what the curse represents. This is constant fear. If I fall in self in love with someone, there's going to be this curse that's going to take away the thing that I love, the very thing that I love. But I was cheated. Out of a good plot twist by being told by his, oh, I just gave everybody courage, whether you, you know, ask for caution or not. I was like, well, damn. Yeah. Rude. <laughs> that was that was rude. They should have had one pick courage and one pick caution. And, you know, it could have been something between the lives of, of Jet and Franny that kind of showed, okay, this is what your life looks like if you pick one T or the other. Show us that contrast, you know. Don't tell me about it. Show me. But that opportunity was just tossed away. Were they really courageous, any of them, at all? I just keep thinking of the time that Franny could have tried to save Halen from drowning in the park and didn't. Well, she said it was because she floated. Swim, dive. You'll float back <laughs> up, but you'll bring him with you. <laughs> oh, oh, so those two. Poor Halen. Poor Halen. <laughs> he was the only person I cared about in the whole book because I was so sad for him. Yeah. He basically kept putting himself out there for Franny. Like, just say it. Just say that you want to be... You don't even have to say that you love me. Just, like, acknowledge that I exist as a human being. And I'll drop everything. I'll come... Like, that's all I want. I just want to be with you. And he seemed like the sweetest person. She waits until he's engaged. Goes to his engagement party. Has sex with him. In the elevator. Break Like, breaks up this, like, chance for him to be happy. And then still can't commit to him. I'm like, Franny, what are you doing? Like, she made me so mad. Like, okay, I get it. I get that you're scared. You don't want to hurt him. But don't keep going back to him and ruining his whole life. And I'm glad that they did finally connect at the end. But then I'm like, this is so weird. She seems like this, like, crotchety, like, negative woman. Like, she's exactly what you would imagine and I think that's why they, they formed her this way. I haven't seen the movie, but I picture her as she's older to be like that cranky old witch that everyone's scared of. And they did kind of hint at that. And she's kind of like filling the role of Aunt Isabel. But I'm like, how did like the the town doctor that everybody loves and then this like cranky old witch like they're <laughs> together? I'm like, well, that's, it was all very bizarre. It was very disappointing the way they handled, the way Alice handled Franny because Freddie was made to be a stereotypical, imaginated woman. Women never know what they want. They keep changing their minds. They, they show you that there's a problem, but if you love me, you know what the problem is. They push you away and want you to you know, come back, even though you, you tell them exactly what to do. Yeah. And then when you do it, they're pissed off. That's, yeah, she was mad. Exactly. She was mad that he left her alone. I'm like... So you, you told me to go away. <laughs> you just had sex with him, broke up his engagement, and then you're like, no, I don't want you. Why didn't you follow me? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. yeah, I was, this is the first time, this is a historic book for me, but this is the first time I was happy that a character got cancer. 
I said, now Hayes gonna he's gonna get out early, even <laughs> though it's painful. He's gonna get out from other being with Franny and escape this thing and not have to live a whole life with her. And do you think that it was actually the like she had the charm that Vincent did, and that was why Halo was so obsessed with her and would do anything despite her pushing him away and treating him like a nasty old rug. I I didn't get that impression. I got the impression that he was a lonely kid, kind of an outcast. She was his only friend. Manic pixie dream girl, you know, where he's like, well, we're friends, you're a girl, hey, hey, hey. And then he just felt attached to her and didn't let go, even though he should have. I actually thought he was going to drown the same night that Jet's boyfriend died. And I was like, ooh, ooh, the curse. The curse is mad at you. And then he survived. And I was like, well, you're going to have a a rough time, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that attraction was the same as what Vincent had. Because I got the impression that Vincent's power has something to do with being within sight of or in proximity with the people that he's charming. But with Hay... He would be gone for years, and then as soon as he heard that Franny was in town, I'll, I'll drop anything. I'll drop everything for you. I will drop her like a hot rock and go with you. That's what he basically he said that. Yeah. And he didn't need any time to think it over. He, there wasn't a spell or anything. I think he genuinely had feelings for her, and she just stuck all over his feelings. And they were kind of a weird pair. I thought it was interesting that she was kind of the person that people went to for ailments in that small town with her herbs and her potions. And then he comes in and now he's the town doctor and he's healing everybody with his medicine. Like, Oh, how does that work? Like she's magical and has these magic healing spells and he's got science. This doesn't seem like it would go together. (laughs) Yeah. That's another thing that bothered me about Franny is that early on she was all about the science and, and saying that, you know, wasn't believing in the magic and everything. So, girl, you you can literally walk on water. You're not going to accept this whole magic thing. That's what yeah. bothered me. Yeah. And at first I thought, I saw it as a chance of, okay, we're going to have a scientific witch that kind of can explain some of these things with science, you know, how things work or whatever. But again, that didn't get addressed. And she just came all the way over to doing the potions because of her relationship with her aunt. And just left science to decide, except for her association with Hay. Yeah, I thought she was going to do experiments with magic to see where the boundaries were. And I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity yes. for this really soft, ethereal magic to get a little bit crisper. And it, it didn't happen. And I was like, no, this was a great science experiment. Mm-hmm. And I thought also that there, that town where they ended up at the end, the small town, I don't know if they ever actually said the name of the town, but it reminded me a lot of Salem, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And I figured that's kind of what they were going for without being explicit because that's where the witch trials were. And actually, I love Salem. It's one of my favorite places I've ever been to. And this would be more like the the rural area. And I I mean, it might have been a little bit more rural in the 70s. And they, they talked about real people that were a part of the the witch trials um like hawthorne that was really interesting and and i think that's where the passive writing kind of failed us because she had the opportunity to really put us into the the setting of of the small town and we didn't really get a lot of setting details even the description of the little cottage i feel like i had a 
come up with a lot of that in, in my mind about what it could look like. And I think maybe that's why I put it in Salem because I'm like, well, it makes sense. They're in Salem. Yeah, there were a lot of wasted words in this book where all the exposition that was in there, it was pointed in the wrong direction. Do you think that there was something to the the Hawthorne family? They She mentioned them many times and even made the connection to uh, the descendant that wrote the Scarlet Letter. She didn't just mention that once. She mentioned that like three or four times. Do you think that there's anything to that or should have there been something let, to let it. me let me ask you a question if you want to disassociate your yourself from a name and a and a relative or whatever would you change one letter or would you change your whole name i would change the whole name i would have changed the whole name right so it just but that's it, a real thing that's a real thing that he did that's a true story i don't know i don't i agree with you well, yeah. then for a writer, he wasn't very creative. <laughs> well, have you read The Scarlet Letter? It's God, awful. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> I, I was I forced to read that at, at well, I would say gunpoint, but they were actually holding my grain in their hand. Yes. I was, I was forced to read Scarlet Letter. And like a lot of early American literature, it was a job to read. But it's, it's a classic. Like, oh, I remember reading it in freshman English, but it's a classic, so. Uh, you can stab that word on whatever you want, <laughs> but I just remember in class we had just gotten done with the Scarlet Letter, and we were halfway through the Red Batch Courage when I was saved by a teacher next door who didn't have enough students in the Shakespeare class. <laughs> I jumped up and ran into that class. I didn't even know what it was about. Oh, yeah, and the movie is even worse. <laughs> that was horrible. I am doing a quick Google to see if the Hawthorne thing is a plot point in Practical Magic, because right. maybe that's why it was so important. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking, that maybe they tie it into that. I'm like, otherwise, what's the point of intentionally mentioning it? And that was kind of weird to me, too, that she would mention the same thing, like almost word for word, several times throughout the book, and be like, okay, well, this must be really important, because she's said it so many times. Yeah. But then, like, the metal thing that you mentioned, that the metal... It was buried. Yeah, I didn't even remember that. Uh, nope, no mention of Hawthorne, so you can call that idea a Okay, so the three rules of magic were do as you will but harm no one, what you give will be returned threefold, and fall in love whenever you can. They talked about following the first two, but then they never really talked about the third one. It was mentioned at the beginning... I'm like, okay, well, I guess the curse contradicts it. But how is this a rule of magic? Shouldn't it? Shouldn't a main, major, one, two, three set of rules overpower any curse? Well, I, I kind of get that part of it. And there's another opportunity lost because, remember, the curse was laid down upon, um, and it was laid down upon these, these this witch family, okay? So, of course, you're going to try and hit them at their core, at one of these rules, you want to conflict with one of these rules. And that's the one that they chose was the, the love part. And um, they had a chance of really having that rule that they follow for as long as witches have been in conflict with this curse that has to be conquered. You know, they had a real chance to, to show that battle, but they didn't. And it's it was really passively done. But um, the whole revelation of love more, not less said a couple of times, I think Vincent came up with it at one point in the book, and it's one of the very last lines, you know, written in the last part of the book, and it was just done with so so much weakness that it could have been like, 
a powerful brand, like something you put on your shield when you go into battle or whatever and, and represent that last rule, but they just let it go. It yeah. does seem weird to me that that would even be a rule of magic because the last thing you think of when you think of witches and warlocks and magic is them being in love. Like normally, like witch lore, it's like some old lonesome lady in the woods that doesn't talk to anybody and not like, ooh, I'm in love. And even their aunt was by herself. And she was the one that preached falling in love more than anyone. And I wanted more to that. I'm like, were, were you in love? What happened? Or you're just trying to get them to fall in love because you never had the opportunity and you've been lonely for the last however many. And then I thought like, oh, well, maybe she's dating that one carpenter guy that comes over and helps her all the time. Like, oh, okay, they got their thing, but they're keeping it a secret too. So they fool the curse. But then they didn't ever say anything about it. I feel like none of the three rules were well represented in the book. And it's the name of the book. And it's the name of the book. Like, okay, do what you will, but do no harm. Vincent was a huge jerk to a bunch of women. That was a lot of harm. Um, but me, he took it as physical harm. He's like, oh, I can't go into the military because I can't yeah. harm people. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's convenient that you're cherry picking. Uh, what you put out in the world, you get threefold. I, I never saw that properly done. Yeah, they threatened it when he was doing dark magic, but then nothing it, happened. Yeah, nothing happened. Like he wasn't stabbed in the dark. I mean, he he went to the mental institution, which I would say is probably his saddest moment, right, where he starts to lose his mind in there. And I don't know if that was show or if it was the drugs they were giving him at first that made him seem even crazier. Yeah, it. but overall, his whole experience with that wasn't that bad. I thought that we're going to really get into what was happening at that time with insane asylums. You know, people in there that shouldn't be in there. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why they're there is because they're drugged up and they can't, you know, speak for themselves or know what reality is. And they get stuck in there. They had an opportunity to address, you know, battling that. They gave that up. When they were talking about the riots, you know, the the riots against, you know, homosexuals, what happened at that that uh, that bar or whatever that club, mm -hmm. um, which which actually happened, and they could have they had an opportunity there. I thought that Vincent was going to be like at and, and William were going to be at the forefront of that and mixed into that, but they just ran from it. And yeah, it was. It, I mean, I thought it was. I thought I was going to see something great happen, and it didn't. And over and over in this book, all these opportunities. They and just it could have been like a tie back to the Salem witch trials when he was in yeah. the mental institution. Like he claimed, he told them that, that he was a warlock and all this stuff. So it could have been like, well, he ends up getting executed or something over it for, I mean, ultimately for dodging the draft, but also for the things that he's saying. Mm -hmm. And that could be the tie back to the witch trials and, and getting, yeah, there's a close connection because, you know, a lot of those, a lot of people were at that time and still to this day being persecuted and outright killed because of who they are, homosexuals. Okay, there's a connection to that and well, people getting killed for what they aren't. They aren't witches, but they get killed just out of fear. Everything, all this is, you know, fear is, you know, taking over this thing. Yeah. And they had an opportunity to make that connection through Vincent who should have, you know, died as a martyr, you know, for this cause, they could have done they could have done that and make you know the world a little bit better place after they realized but you know he did die though. 
Whatever. If it's fake, even in a book, it don't count. (laughs) Like, at least trick the reader for a few chapters. Yeah, at least. At least fool me into thinking until the last chapter, I would still be disappointed. But uh, he should have died. Somebody should have died. Somebody important should have died. The parents died. They were unimportant. The only important person that really died was Hay, and he he just needed a trap door. They get out of the situation. Well, they were together a long time before he died, too. At least 20 years. Yeah. That was just thrown in there. Oh, I did really like the quote when Franny realizes that Jet was going to try to commit suicide. She said, the world will do enough to us. We don't have to do it to ourselves. So that's where I thought that it was going to tie into the curses, them doing it to themselves, rather than than what the world is offering. But they did kind of hint at later that the bad things are going to happen no matter what, and so might as well just just do whatever. And, like, people people now fall in love and bad things happen to who they're in love with, and that's not a curse. That's just life that happens, unfortunately. When some people have everyone in their family who have died tragic deaths, and it's awful. But is it a curse? No. And can you prevent yourself from being close to anyone ever again because other people have died? Well, some people think that. People get trapped in that, like, well, everyone I care about leaves me or dies, so so I might as well just shut myself off. And I think that's kind of where this could have gone, but unfortunately did not. We had had so many things that we were like, oh, it could have been, what you could have done, or maybe you're going, nope. (laughs) Okay, maybe this time. It's just, oh, it's the book of broken promises. <laughs> That's the perfect title. <laughs> and so I was reading more about this book and, and practical magic. And so Alice Hoffman actually said that she has a third book written in this series. And she won't say, like, who it's about. <laughs> And the only other way I could see her making another book is if we go way back and we go back to when the initial curse was made with Maria Owens in the 1600s and that whole backstory. That's the only way I could see her squeezing another book out of this. Because I would hope, I don't know, but I would hope that in Practical Magic they figure out a way to actually break the curse. Well... I want to say first that I really wish we were doing TV instead of radio because that I had a bad clamp face that came. <laughs> yeah, you guys both were looking at me like, "Oh, you're crazy." But no, well, we every book that we we can't just have love fest all the time, okay? You know, there's going to be some books that we're not going to like, and this is one of them. But um, number one, I don't think no one's going to argue with me saying that this attempted to be a love story. This attempted to what? be a love story. <laughs> I mean. Love is one of the rules. It has to do with love, and and not just romantic love. Okay, um, and when that when that rule is put in place, I'm I'm assuming that they're talking about other than the romantic love. It's basically just saying, be kind, be good to others. You know, have some, some love for the people that you interact with on a regular basis. I can see that. But again, like you said, they didn't touch on any of these rules. They didn't really enforce them. So what I would like to see. I don't care what the time period is. I don't care if it's the beginning of the curse day, the end or whatever. Um, address these rules, okay? Tell, give me some rules about the witches, how they have to, how they get in the way of what they want to do, a, a goal they want to accomplish, something like that. Make this interesting, so I actually care about who's in it. 
then I'll happily read it instead of acting like I was taking it. I felt like I was mowing the lawn when I was reading this book. It did take a long time. I'm a pretty fast reader, but I also have a bad habit of book hopping. So if a book is not catching my interest, then I'll put it down. I'll go read another book that is more interesting and come back. And that was my big problem with this book is I did not want to keep coming back to it. I kept reading other books before finishing it. Uh, so I was glad when you said you had just finished the book last night because I was like, okay, I finished it two days ago. Kate, you finished it a while ago. <laughs> I went for the rip the Band-Aid off mentality of I'll read this as fast as I can so that I can read something else because I'm the opposite of you. I cannot read more than one book at a time because then I will just lose all the plot threads and be like, who's in here? What? Harry Potter? Are you in here? <laughs> like, I'll just get lost. So I, I had to power through so that I could read a book I actually really wanted to read. <laughs> yeah, I am like you. I have to read a book at a time, which is probably the reason why I don't read as many books as I like to. And this time last week, at this very time when we decided we were going to get together, I said, oh my God, I'm only only 125 pages into this book. I'm not even halfway through the book. So I had to power through to yeah. get to the end of this book. And it was it was work doing it. Except, it, like you said, near the end, which actually upset me more because I said, well, if you did the rest of the book like this, or if you made this the start of the book, this would have been a much better experience. Yeah. I, yeah, it took me like a month to get through the first 150 pages. And then I read the last half of the book in a day because, well, one, I had a deadline. <laughs> I had to finish the book, but but it did it did catch my attention a little bit more. And yeah, I don't know. I, I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask, um, would you read Practical Magic, the next book? No. <laughs> I <laughs> I might watch the movie if I already had it on, like, Netflix, Hulu, whatever. Uh, I checked. It's not on there. So now I'm not going to watch the movie either. <laughs> yeah, I was going to watch it last night in preparation for this. I couldn't find it either. But it has big names in it. Yeah, it? Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. Yeah, they're the, the daughters. And I already spoiled it because I did read the Wikipedia summary, but I was hoping that the Magus would come up because Vincent just left it on a bench and he's like, hopefully someone finds it who needs it. I'm like, oh yeah, whoever needs a dark magic to rule the world, it's fine. <laughs> if that's not part of the next book, then that was another thread that was just left out there hanging in the wind. I would not read the book unless ordered to. <laughs> by, <laughs> There's by your homework. Amber. Yeah, but the <laughs> Uh, I didn't even I didn't even realize that this was a prequel or that it was involved with practical magic until I was done with this book and they bring up the books that they suggest you read after this one and I saw that she had written practical magic I was like oh okay well that's interesting and I I knew of the movie never showed an interest in watching the movie so um, unless it's going to be forced upon me like medicine I'm not going to read the book or watch the movie yeah, but I would say if someone was interested in reading The Rules of Magic, they don't need to read Practical Magic first, even though it was written first. I think this one does stand alone, and you can read it first and without reading Practical Magic. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, because it doesn't end on a cliffhanger. You know, you don't need to go grab Practical Magic to find out what happens next. Right, and since it's a prequel, we're learning new things that, you know, we don't have to go based off of what happened 
in Practical Magic to understand what's what's happening here. Out of five stars, what would you rate this book? I don't, I can make an assumption, but. This book is a solid two-star book. Okay. Well, it got one one star. It got one one. Because the, the, there were parts of this book that I did like. There was, although all those broken dreams, <laughs> that broken dream potential is what gave it two stars. If it, if it had none of that potential, it would have been like a, a half a star or one star. <laughs> Uh, See, I give it one star because it had so much potential and then veered away from it. And just the the passive voice, the omniscient narrator, the telling instead of showing. It's everything I don't like in the style of the book. And then in the content, there was just not much for me to grab onto to enjoy. I will be nice, and I'm actually going to give it three stars. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, there's... Only one book that I've ever given one star. So I can't give it a one star because that was truly the worst book that I've ever read. So I cannot go that far. Two stars. I give out two stars every once in a while, but that has to be like completely unbearable. I can't even like finish it. It's so awful. This one, I finished it. I can appreciate it. It wasn't great, but if you like this style of book you might enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> that was the most political answer <laughs> amber for president <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast you've probably already read the book so my opinion isn't going to sway you either way but i just always have a hard time giving low ratings but this is a popular enough book that it doesn't really matter my rating is not going to impact its sales. It's not, but I'm astounded that this is a popular book and people are writing things like they love it. And Yeah, and part of the reason why we chose it was because it was on Reese Witherspoon's book club list, The Hello Sunshine. Yeah. And Reese it was best. It was in the book of the month box. It was on bestseller list. If you go into Barnes & Noble, it's like right there on their, like one of their first displays. It's all over the place. Who's the publisher? It's obviously one of the big five, because they did a hell of a job moving this book. (laughs) (laughs) Props to you, publisher. I'm sending my stuff to them. Yeah. Simon & Schuster, of course. Simon & Schuster, congratulations. You were able to sell this book that is not great to very many people. And if you love this book, you'll love the Jughead Annual Number 15 comic book. That's real quality. Is that that low quality a book? That's, I've never read that. You don't you, need to. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Next month, we are going to be talking about The Late Show by Michael Connolly. So make sure you read that in preparation so you can listen to our discussion. And hopefully we all enjoy that a lot more than this one. Yeah. So thank you both for joining me. And thank you all for listening. Sure. Sorry, Alice Hoffman. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. Join us next month to see what we thought of another best-selling book with strong female main characters. The chat doesn't end here. Let us know your thoughts in the comment area or connect with us on social media. Enjoyed the show? Share the love. Give us a review, like, follow, and a share with your friends. Find more reviews, discussions, and articles related to publishing, writing, and editing on judgingmorethanjustthecover.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Give us a shout. Until next time, peace out.